0: Doctor, whatever it is that's killing these things, could it kill us, too? Well, we must presume that it can. So no eating or drinking until we've done our very best to find Ian, hmm? That's not thunder, surely. It sounded more like an ancient cannon. (sighs) He's been shot dead. You sure he is dead? Oh, yes. There's nothing but death all around us. Yes, what's happening here? You weren't with us, Chesterton, but every insect we came across was dead. Yes. Susan and I saw a great many huge dead ants. Well, everything else is the same, here. Yes, and we don't know what it was that killed them. But that man, he's been shot, murdered. What would kill insects in a perfectly ordinary garden? I mean, pests one can understand, but... Surely it's wrong to kill bees and worms and things, isn't it? Quite so. Both are vital to the growth of things. However, we must leave this little mystery and get back to the ship. As I said, my dear, it's fortunate for all of us that everything is dead.
1: Hello, and welcome to the Cloister Bell podcast. If you're after a podcast of two friends chatting and discussing about the oldest ongoing televised science fiction series in the world, Doctor Who, then you have come to the right place. Do make sure you follow us on your podcast app or join our mailing list at our website cloisterbellpodcast.com or follow us on the social media app, formerly known as Twitter, at Podcast Bell. I'm Liam and I'm joined by my co-host Rob. Hi
2: Rob. Hi Liam. That was good and comprehensive. (laughs) Better than I did last week.
1: Well I thought, you know, let's see if we can, uh, you know, come across a little bit more professional and see if um, so we could actually have a, a succinct uh introduction with what we're about and, you know, get all the social stuff out of the way. I dare say we're we'll it's, it's about that later damn
2: on. time. <laughs> yeah. Well, you Maybe know, you, you learn game. as you go
1: along. It's uh, it's only taken us five years, but you know, rather late than never. It's too late when you're dead and you can't do anything yeah. about it then. <laughs> anyway, um on that cheery note. How are you doing, Rob?
2: Not bad, thank you. Not bad. Enjoying my days off.
1: Oh, very nice. All right for some. Have you been up too much?
2: Not a great deal. Um, what did I do today? Oh, well, I watched Planet of Giants, of course
1: excellent good choice yeah i mean don't feel like you know that thing you know when you're ever at work and you or uh, you got work colleagues going oh have you been up too much or did you do anything in the weekend And you did sod all but you really enjoyed it. but you always feel pressurized to make it sound like oh i had an amazing weekend uh, you know i was in open helicopter and i was skydiving and just you know i was just like i was just scratching myself lying on the sofa and relaxing as much as possible but yeah no pressure mm-hmm. i did nothing and i'm happy about it good yeah uh, no, with uh, with me, it's just been a normal week of work, and uh, it, it's been a weird week. Um, it's been busy, but nicely busy, um, but uh, I don't know what it is. Around about, like, three, four o'clock in the afternoon, the days really start to drag. Even though you've still got stuff to do, I don't know what it is, and then sort of like when it, because I finish work at half five, when it hits five o'clock, it's like the longest half hour of your life. don't know what it is. Tell about me it. about it. <laughs> This working day never end. It's been a whole um, week of that.
2: Um, Whenever I've got about an hour left of work, I pick up the radio and I'm like, it's happy hour, everyone. But, you know, there's nothing happy about it. It's the longest bloody hour of your life.
1: (laughs) It really is. I mean, sometimes it hits like on the odd day, but this week it's been, it's just day after day after day. And it's not just been me. Everyone at work's been feeling like that. It's just like, what the hell's going on? One thing I am happy with is um, autumn has finally arrived, probably, because uh, it's it's probably my favorite what, season. What, like
2: leaves and everything?
1: Yeah, leaves. But earlier this week, I mean, it, it was like um, we had the last blast of summer. It's just like, you know, um, where, where am my you know, my big coat? Uh, and it's just like, I'm sweating buckets. It was too warm. It's like, this isn't autumn, but finally it's arrived. It's proper autumn weather. It's proper get your coat on, wrap up warm and all that. I really like
2: it. All the Halloween stuff is in the shops.
1: Uh, well, you know, you, you can't have everything, but yeah, there is that as well. Yeah.
2: Not a very Halloween-y person, then.
1: I'm British, no. <laughs> it's one an American invasion that I'm not particularly keen on. Why can not they just kept Halloween to themselves? Nah, I've never... No, nah, it's not really my thing.
2: How about oh. you? I love Halloween, but... Um, now that I'm a grown-up, I just don't have the time for it.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I enjoyed it as a kid, especially, you know, uh, dressing up like Dracula and stuff.
2: Um, yeah, um, I've got two daughters, and I'm wondering what they want to dress up as. Um, my oldest daughter wants to dress up as Eleven from (gasps) Stranger Things. Oh,
1: right, I thought you meant she wanted to dress up like an (laughs) 11-year-old. I wanted to dress up as someone older than me. Right, oh, right, okay.
2: I thought you were thinking of Matt Smith there.
1: Oh no no, 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 Uh
2: but my youngest asked her what she wanted to dress up as. Mm. And she said Bob Ross.
1: She obviously means Bobby Davros.
2: Um yeah, I don't know where she gets that from. Yeah, it's a mystery yeah. that was is, is Bob Ross like a scary figure? I got it right.
1: Are we is Bob Ross an actual thing?
2: It's the painter. The guy with the bad hair. Bob... in the pain palette.
1: All oh, right. I thought I thought it was like she was mispronouncing Davros or something. Hang on. I, Hold I'm on. I'll to... send I'll,
2: I'll I'll find Bob Ross. I'll send you a Bob Ross gif if I can find one.
1: Oh, him. Sorry, I've just googled him. I know who he is. I just didn't know his name. Uh, th- right, okay. Funny enough, Sky Arts has been repeating an awful lot of Bob Ross um programs. And I like the on Sky Arts, I like the programs where it, where it's about um discovering film directors or actors and they basically sort of like for for an hour go through um that person's filmography but as i record these and when i start to play them there's always the end bit of bob ross so oh and you've sent me a gif let's get (laughs) (laughs) it's the most relaxing cheesy program that's probably ever you know ever been made it's yeah
2: yeah but for well,
1: Halloween, we... she wants to dress up as Bob Ross. <laughs> <laughs> it's fantastic.
2: Can do, yeah. Mm. Um, I, I don't think we are doing a Halloween special, but next Monday's episode comes out on the 30th. So we, we can try and squeeze in something spooky.
1: Well, uh, yeah, something spooky. Maybe we could uh, do some of our previous t- attempts of acting. That's spooky enough.
2: Maybe. Yeah. Yeah we'll see yeah
1: <laughs> yeah we'll see
2: uh, what where what you've been watching what you've been doing when did we record last was it last week
1: yes it was yes
2: it was last week wow mm-hmm. weekly recordings <laughs> um well i've been well not since last week it's been for the last month um started gilmore girls from the beginning okay. and just finished that finished the netflix revival um i've watched the first episode of loki Uh, I've just, oh, I watched the David Beckham documentary on Netflix.
1: Is that the one where there's a clip doing the rounds, which um, Victoria Beckham's being interviewed and talking about how, you know, her working class roots. And then David Beckham just walks into the room and goes, tell them what, (laughs) because basically calling her out on absolute nonsense because she wasn't, he came from a working class background, but she didn't. And she's talking about, you know, her modest roots and how she came from a working class background. And David Beckham just walks in the room and calls her out on this nonsense by asking yeah. her, um, What car did your dr- dad drive you to school in? She was, and she's trying to, like, avoid the question and then finally answers and going, It was a Rolls Royce. <laughs> and then he just gives a look. Then basically, sort of gives this facial expression, and closes the door, going, Point made. Is that the one? Yes.
2: That's the one, yeah. Fantastic. Um, It. It was a good watch, actually. it was like four episodes, but each episode felt like it went on for an eternity <laughs> right, um, okay. and like it's like you know the life and career of David Beckham, mm. but it, seeing it all in one go um it's quite impressive um but what Victoria Beckham had to go through following him, getting settled with kids, and then moving to another country mm. and then another one um yeah, she put up with a lot.
1: All <laughs> oh, right. What sort of thing but, do you mean? I mean, you're just talking about you know the difficulties of of like raising children and moving countries. Raising or... children,
2: yes, and then get getting settled in America and then having hmm. to move again. Um, but yeah, it was a good watch.
1: All oh, right. Okay. And,
2: and me and my wife just started um, the Who Killed Jill Dando documentary.
1: Oh, interesting. Right. Okay. Um, thoughts. I mean I haven't watched it but um what are your thoughts on it
2: uh, uh, interesting the first couple of episodes it's like it's going nowhere it's like they don't the they don't know who the killer is now do they no um and the first few episodes is um pretty much they don't know anything i'm thinking where's this going nowhere probably <laughs> but uh <laughs> i'll hang in there and see i'll uh, i'll report back to you
1: right okay cuz um <laughs> I've got my theories on that one, but, you know, it's obviously the conspiratorial route. But um, but yeah, by the sounds of it, do you remember years ago, you used to get on Channel 4 or Channel 5, these history programs, and it would always tend to be about uh, the ancient Egyptians. And they would always advertise going, you know, um, the wonderful new documentary, unlocking the secrets of the ancient tombs of the mummies and all that. Um, and you would get you would always get wrapped in and go, mm, right, OK, I'll watch I'll watch it. And it will be it will be an hour documentary. And it would, it would be they would have some hypothesis of going. Well, what we think is da 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 da, and then at the end, and then it would be this whole hour, and then at the end just going. Uh, but yeah, that turned out not to be the case, or we just don't know. Be like, is it? <laughs> does it feel like it's going to be one of those, just a complete waste of time? You're none the wiser well, at the end of it.
2: Maybe, but it's insightful because I didn't know all the ins and outs of it, but. Hmm. Hmm but yeah i hate Amer- i hate documentaries I was gonna say yeah, I hate American documentaries but yeah they, they are the worst <laughs> I think yes i hate one. i hate documentaries I hate that do that
1: what's <laughs> what's that i
2: hate i hate i just hate documentaries that do that that uh hmm. the hook you in with um conspiracy theories and then debunk it an hour and a half later <laughs>
1: <laughs> my biggest gripe in uh, um is the style of documentaries that we have now. So what it'll be is um, they'll have an introduction, which will go on for five or 10 minutes, setting out what this documentary is going to be about. And then you'll have uh, 10 minutes of, you know, talking heads, you know, beginning the documentary. And then there'll be a commercial break. Then after the commercial break, there will be a summing up of what happened in the previous part, which was the introduction. (laughs) So you're... Uh, so they repeat the introduction and then the sort of like the two minutes worthwhile of conversation that happened. <laughs> then there's another bit of two minutes and then there's a commercial break and it and then the same thing happens. And it's just this, it'll be like a 50 minute documentary, uh, which 45 minutes worth are just recapping what had taken place in the introduction. And then overall, there's just two minutes worth, if you're lucky, of of actual stuff. And oh, then you tell have the us credits. about it. Yeah, oh, me and
2: my war. wife have been watching um, a yacht show called Below Deck, and mm. it's it's typical American format reality TV show. And it's in it it'll tell you what's coming up, and then you'll mm. get another recap of coming up. And then you have to, by the time you watch <laughs> the actual event, it's the third time you've seen it.
1: <laughs> yeah, um, that Mitchell and Webb look the the uh, comedy uh, sketch show yeah they they took the mick out of this there's a brilliant sketch where it's about um david mitchell is trying to buy a gift for his aunt and the whole thing is just a, a constant recap hang on i've got to see if i can get the audio of
0: this uh uh all right okay coming up on the gift shop sketch Can I help you, sir? Yes, I'm looking for a gift for my aunt. Brian is looking for a gift for his aunt. I'm looking for a gift for my aunt. But has he come to the right (laughs) place? Find out in part two of The Gift Shop Sketch. In the gift shops, sketch so far, Brian Can I help you, sir? Is looking for a gift for his aunt I'm looking for a gift for my aunt Well, you've come to the right place But has he come to the right place? Well, you've come to the right place This is, after all, a gift shop Well, yes, this is what I was thinking But has Brian got his thinking right? He thinks he's in the right place But will he get that gift <laughs> that he needs? I'm looking for a gift for my aunt Find out in part three of... The gift shop sketch. Coming up in the gift shop sketch part three. How about this woolen dog? The shopkeeper makes a suggestion. How about this woolen dog? But what will Brian's reaction be? I'm looking for a gift for my aunt. But what sort? How about this woolen dog? We already know the shopkeeper says that, but what does Brian, who's looking for a gift for my aunt, say before that? Well, the sort of gift that if it were a quote, it would be apposite. How about this woollen dog? Does the shopkeeper have a woollen dog? Will Brian like it? Find out in part four of The Gift Shop Sketch. Previously on The Gift Shop Sketch. This woollen dog. Yes, I'm looking for a gift for my aunt. Can I help you, sir? Coming up in part four. That's perfect. It's like you've met my aunt. What does Brian say that about? How about this woollen dog? Is it that? This woollen dog. That's perfect. It's like you've met my aunt. Yes! Coming up in The Gift Shop Sketch. The end of The Gift Shop Sketch. Hey. But first. The bit before the end. That's perfect. It's like you've met my aunt. Yes, she's my aunt too. Daddy! And now the end. Eh? And now them both together. That's perfect. It's like you've met my aunt. Yes, she's my aunt too. Daddy! Eh? Which is a world away from how it started. Yes, I'm looking for a gift for my aunt. Next week on the gift shop sketch. Can I help you, sir? Until then, good night. That's totally it. You
2: just get totally fatigued by all these bloody... (laughs) Previews and recaps.
1: (laughs) Yeah. It's almost tempting to do that for the introduction of the podcast going forward.
2: (laughs) Oh, I'd love a coming up bit. And then we'll recap. Coming up on the
1: Cloister Bell podcast, Rob and Liam talk about a Doctor Who story. But what Doctor Who story is it? Well, Rob, I was thinking we would be reviewing Planet of the Giants. Will they be reviewing Planet of the Giants? Find out in part two of the Cloister Bell podcast. And so on. You get the idea.
2: Yeah. Um, one week when we've got time on our hands we can actually do that. Yeah. It must be hard hard to do a coming up bit because if we did a coming up bit you'd better like listen to the whole thing and pick out some best bits.
1: <laughs> oh yeah, it does require effort. Yeah. <laughs> oh well. Anyway, without further ado, shall we get on with it? Let's do
2: it. We're on a um tight schedule today. Yeah.
1: Yep. Okay, so uh reviewing plan the giants. So, uh, plot summary, and as usual, I nick this from someone else who's already done the hard work. Uh, This is from Doctor Who the Handbook, the William Hartnell years, and this was published in 1994. And their plot synopsis of the story is, A malfunction of the TARDIS systems reduces the Doctor and his companions to just an inch in height. In their miniaturised state, they arrive in contemporary England and stumble across a plot by a ruthless businessman, Forrester and his misguided scientist colleague Smithers to launch a new insecticide, DN6, a product so destructive that it would kill not only those insects harmful to agriculture, but also those vital to it. Forrester is even willing to commit murder to ensure the success of his business as, he, as um, sorry, our civil servant Arnold Farrow discovers to his cost. The criminals are eventually brought to justice when the doctor and his friends, hampered by the fact that Barbara has herself been made ill by the insecticide, tamper with a telephone in Smithers' laboratory, thus fueling the suspicions of the local exchange operator, Hilda Rose, who sends her police constable husband Bert to investigate. So the casting crew, uh, Doctor Who, Who? the doctor in these days, it's Doctor Who, uh, is played by William Hartnell. In Chesterton, played by William Russell, Barbara Wright by Jacqueline Hill, Susan Foreman, Caroline Ford, Forrester, Adam Tilvan, Farrow, Frank Crawshaw, Smithers, Reginald Barrett, Hilda Rose, Rosemary Johnson, and Burt Rose, Fred Farris. The writer of the story is Lewis Marks, and this is a three-part story. Although it wasn't designed to be, but we'll get onto that later. Episodes one and two were directed by Mervyn Pinfield, and episode three Directed by Douglas Canfield, his first ever Doctor Who story he directed. The producer was Verity Lambert, script editor David Whitaker. The designer was Raymond Cusick. The costumes were Daphne Dare. And the incidental music was by Dudley Simpson. Um, so this is the, the story that uh, opens up second season of Doctor Who. So this was broadcast in 1964. The BBC never repeated it. Um, it was only shown the once. It would have been repeated on things like UK TV Gold and things like that, but the BBC itself have have never r- repeated the story. Uh, Rob, my usual question: Had you seen this story before?
2: Um, yes, I believe so. Many years ago, um, mm. in the in the days of DVD and BritBox, though, so um, not uh, on VHS. So it wasn't one. Of, it wasn't like a childhood favorite story. Just when I came, kind of came mm. across. But before I watched it this week, um, all I remembered was like a sink and an ant.
1: <laughs> yes, yeah, you know, I, I get that. Like you, I, th- I think I had a very similar experience. I never watched it as a kid. Um, I think it, in terms of the VHS, I think it was released quite late on in the VHS range. Um, but I first watched it when it when it became available on DVD. Um. I remembered bits of it. Uh, yeah, I totally get why you would remember the sink and, and the ants. Uh, I remember a little bit it was something to do with um, an insecticide or something. Um, I thought it'd be interesting to... Because the, the stories that we've been reviewing are sort of linked to the 60th anniversary in some way, uh, which is coming up. Yeah. So previously we, um, we'd we reviewed Pfizer uh, Pompeii because we know that David Tennant and... Uh, Catherine Tate are coming back for the sixtieth, and that was their first proper adventure together. Um, so that was a good one. It would it would make sense had we'd actually chosen to review an unearthly child, but um, I thought that's too obvious, and I'm a bit perverse. We won't do that. I thought we'd look at Planet of the Giants because, um, because actually this could have been not exactly how it turned out, but this could have actually been the very first Doctor Who story ever. Because when uh, the show was being uh, conceived and created, uh, they, they, they were really fixated on this idea of starting the series of, of the regular shrinking in size. And we had, there were several ideas and scripts were produced. Um, was one of these one in of the school? Which, yes, yeah, yeah, that was it. So that would have had Ian and Barbara shrinking in Curl Hill School and the story would have seen them work and facing dangers within the school and they would have faced like a giant spider and they would have been potentially been squashed on a microscope slide which are great you know great ideas but obviously far too difficult to produce certainly at that time um so these you know far too ambitious other scripts were written but they but they were deemed unsatisfactory for one reason or another and so th- the idea to commence the series with shrunken characters was abandoned and then we get an unearthly child um do you think it could have wo- you know if we had something like this story introducing uh. doctor who do you think that would have worked
2: mm no mm. Uh, i don't think so i think not including um the whole unearthly child serial um in the past but um mm-hmm. when you consider um the daleks to be the first proper serial after that that was the that was the main hook and it had everyone talking um had this been the f- the first proper serial after the introduction um it's maybe it's going into the realms of it being a bit daft and bizarre and <gasps> it's it's taken it into a whole other dimension. It's not just um, traveling through history. It's, mm-hmm. it, it's going really small, which is a bit silly. <laughs> uh, but no, I think it wouldn't have hooked and captured everyone's imaginations as well as it, as the original had.
1: I agree with you there, especially because I think what's really great about an Unearthly Child is the very first episode, it begins like... Just a normal drama, with a bit of a mystery. You've got these two teachers. It's very contemporary, for the time, of a secondary modern school. Um, we have two teachers who are a bit concerned about uh, one of their pupils. They start to investigate. It actually plays out so, a little bit like a kitchen sink drama in some respects. And then, towards the end of the episode, it completely turns. And then you're in this time-space machine, which is housed inside a police telephone box. And it goes, what the hell is this? It's completely bonkers. Um, and then the next three episodes are in um, Stone Age period, and there's the whole danger with you know cavemen and so on. Now that story was written by Waris Hussein. Now had we had a sort of like a shrunken episode like Planet of the Giants being the first story, I think Waris Hussein would have you know still been assigned to direct the very first Doctor Who story. Um, he's always said that he was very concerned about the script because it's like oh well I'm having to deal with these cavemen how I'm going to deal with that how I'm going to make it believable and have them grunting and so on I wonder if he had he been produced with this sort of script if he would have preferred preferred doing that initially I don't know but anyway as we know uh we didn't we didn't get shrunken shrunken people running around in a school as the first story we get what is an unearthly child However the production team were really obsessed with the with with this idea and were determined to have a story where the TARDIS crew shrunk to the size of an inch and um, for whatever reason they were obsessed with it and after all this backwards and forwards with production script and all the rest of it we finally get what is planned at the giants um but it's it sort of it's sort of kind of
2: as a concept it sounds like a lot of fun uh, we had like Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, and yes, yeah, as yeah. a kid, I used to watch a lot of a TV show. I think it was from the mid to late sixties or later, um, called Land of the Giants.
1: Ah, oh, right. Yes. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Um. Well, it's it's odd that Planet of the Giants was set on Earth, but in Land of the Giants, the their spaceship fell through a space warp, and they ended up on uh, a planet identical to earth but everyone was big
1: yeah oh, so sort a bit like, <laughs> like gulliver's travels it yeah. seems a bit of an odd way of going about it but i mean as a, as an idea it's it's not too bad but it's um mm. yeah you you get gulliver's travels but you know gulliver goes to the land you know the land of the lilyput and it you know, the he's going to a land of like incredibly small people um, you have Lewis Carroll later on with Alice's Adventures in Wonderland, um, you know, that whole concept where, you know, she, she's shrunk and then she grows giant and then she finally regains her normal size. Um, and then, as you said, Rob, uh, in the, the late 80s, we had the film Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Um, so it's a, it's an idea that that, that that seems to appeal in, in some fashion, Um. But it's really funny that the production team, uh, you know, really, really wanted the story. And then when they finally got it, it was deemed satisfactory. But um, the BBC weren't that keen on it to the point where what they wanted to do was push the story back in transmission. They thought that the Daleks Invasion of Earth would would be a much better season opener. But there was a problem with that. The Dark's Invasion of Earth has the story. Uh, Susan leaves at the end of that story. Oh, yeah. Um, Back the obviously... next
2: week, one inch small, <laughs> one inch tall it would be a bit strange. Yeah,
1: that wouldn't work. Um, so that it was sort of like, oh, right, okay. Well, I suppose we've got to have Giants as the beginning of the second season. But it's not a great season opener. Um, it's all right. I know what we'll do we'll shorten the story and then we can get the daleks a week earlier and you know mm. so that's the reason why we end up getting um a four episode story down into three but uh we'll we'll get onto that a, a little bit
2: uh, yeah later. i've got a, f- a few points to make about that on mm. my mind which we'll talk about at the end yeah
1: but um so in terms of the the, the first episode uh we have you know the scene in, the scene set in the tardis um the way that it's explained is that something terrible happens as the as the the TARDIS is about to land, um the doors open in transit, uh which affects the pressure. This is later revealed for the reason why that when the TARDIS eventually lands, um everything is shrunk. Um, I don't know. D- does that work to you for as an explanation?
2: Well, given that we don't don't understand the science behind it sure mm. yeah
1: <laughs> yeah yeah no no i was just wondering i think yeah as a, at least we have an explanation it could because they could have just easily went uh oh something happened and we've, we've happened to shrunk huh wonder why that happened and don't it's a you know it, it's a reasonable explanation it sort of works within the the logic of the story i suppose yeah and then um i don't know whether you know so anyway so, so this has happened and then they they they're in the they're walking around and then they come across like a giant earthworm and things like that. And they're trying to work out what, what's going on. Um, They, they, they split up, but by the end of the episode that the, the, the TARDIS crew are reunited, but we have um, the doctor with Barbara and they come across a giant earthworm and, a, you know, and uh, lots of dead ants just out of shot, Rob, just out of shot. Oh yeah. All those them. ant because
2: eggs. They're... Oh, what was the more yes. dead ant? Do you mean the eggs?
1: No, no. Uh, we see the we see the eggs, but there's, all, you know, uh, but later on we get this dialogue of just going, "Oh, we saw thousands oh, right. of dead ants, yeah, and oh. always just out of shot."
2: Uh, with regard to the um, eggs, you know, they they pick up this one egg, and they're talking mm-hmm. about it for a few minutes, and then mm-hmm. Susan moves forward, and the camera pans slightly to to the right, and they're like, "Oh, look, there's some more."
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, Yeah, there's always that thing where um, things which would have clearly been in their line of vision um, (laughs) suddenly only become uh, are suddenly only seen.
2: (laughs) Their eyes are very small (laughs) now.
1: Yeah, and they become uh, incredibly short-sighted. That's the explanation. Great. Um, uh, And then um, Ian is with Susan and they come across um, a a, a, a giant packet and a a, a giant matchbox and Ian's talking about oh mate or yeah Ian's talking about how uh, maybe this is part of some sort of crazy exhi- exhibition
2: yeah makes sense so it's
1: actually Susan who goes no you're wrong Ian now obviously the, the, they don't quite know what what's going on and they're trying to work things out but uh, i don't know rob do you think this is satisfactorily done or do you think it's like oh for god's sake work it out people
2: <clears throat> um do you mean is it is it right for Ian to question it or uh, uh-
1: no I was just do you not think I know I was just wondering do you think it should have been glaringly obvious of what's taken
2: well place? yeah
1: or do you think it's played fine
2: a, a, a bit of both um I I guess hmm. you would um it's quite reasonable to have some um, disbelief or or not not really assume that you're really small mm-hmm. um yeah it it didn't strike me yeah. as odd
1: yeah, no, no. I just thought I'd pose the question. I, I agree with you. I think it's I think it's balanced quite well. It uh, it you can see Ian's thinking, and it's it's not too glaringly obvious. I think it's timed just at the right moment when they start to piece it together. And what I quite like actually about this is that it's actually Susan who tells Ian that he's wrong and explains to him what what's going on, because um, Susan was one of those had been introduced as a very strong character in the season in the series sorry um and then that strong writing just she just turned into a screamer and proved to be quite irritating mm. um and surplus to re- requirements really so the fact that you know she's i think she's a, a bit stronger in this story which uh, which is quite nice with just uh, just these moments um at the same time while this is going on we have um the situation between um <clears throat> Uh, I'm trying to remember the characters' names now. Forrester and Smithers? no,
2: um, S- no, Smithers wasn't in the the first scene. It's the yes, it's the the guy with the gun. Forrester and Farrow. Farrow, yes,
1: yes. Um, uh, so so we end up getting the the, the storyline playing out uh, at the same time, where um, you have the you have these two people who have been uh, creating an insecticide but um one of them has worked out that actually it's it's far too powerful and not only is it uh, uh, not only is it killing uh creatures which affect crops it's affect it, it seems to just kill everything indiscriminately but um uh the villain of of the story it uh, doesn't care about this because a lot of year lots of years of research has gone into this it's a means of making a lot of money and this would affect his uh, ability to um to, to, to make a profit, so he commits murder. And he brings in a scientist to, to help him cover up for the murder, and that goes into into the second episode. Um, I don't know about you, Rob, but I actually think this... Sorry, you're laughing. What, what do you think?
2: Uh, I'm just laughing at the whole bizarre situation. They just happen to get shrunk really small, come across a murder. Mm-hmm. Not only that, but they come across a global existential crisis, because this this bn6 could destroy everything. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, it, it it is a bit of a rum mixture. Um that side of the story though I quite I, I quite like it. And I think it it's actually quite modern. I th- I think um this is a storyline that would fit very well into I mean you could you could easily do it as a separate ecological um political crime thriller mm. and i think that would you know that would work incredibly well you could also have it as a as a plot for doctor who now
2: and i don't think anyone would batter an eyelid um it was almost like two two plots of of two mm. stories merged into one um and they didn't mm-hmm. necessarily kind of marry together very well um is is this ahead of its time in the way that it was talking about um how um different creatures are necessary for um the ecosystem uh no no
1: uh, well yes and no so uh, i think that had been known for for quite a long time but it really started to become a concern with regards to insecticides and things like that around about the 1950s and in fact one of the things that i really found interesting uh when doing the research for this story was that uh Lewis Marks who was who was the scriptwriter he was heavily inspired by a book called Silent Spring by Rachel Carson and that was published in 1962 and what that did was that presented evidence that widespread use of insecticides uh, was destroying wildlife on an unimagined and underpublicized way now this was a book that was originally published in America and what Rachel Carson did was, uh, in her book was she listed many creatures that were unintentionally killed by insecticides. And these included earthworms, uh, which you know, is uh, brought, clearly brought into this story um, in the first episode. Uh, and also what she does in, that, uh, in her book is that she points out to this thing in 1964 where elm trees were sprayed at Michigan State University and earthworms were contaminated after eating treated leaves in the soil. Some worms died, others survived to be eaten by robins, and then the robin population of the area dramatically declined over three years. Wow. Um, and then Carson also presented other examples to ecological damage and negative effects to human health. Uh, she also made the point that insecticides were inadequately tested before application and did not consider reproduction and migration of animals. Um she also asserted that uh, chemical manufacturers would persuade governments to accept facile promises of instant, instant remedies. Uh, And she wrote that by funding university research grants, manufacturers discouraged work on identifying natural remedies and predators. So the profits to be made from large scale sales of insecticide were greater than those made from limited applications. Um, And I think, you know, when you know that, and that's what the book was about, I think it's obvious that you know the book and these findings clearly influenced the story um, and I think that you know I think that's interesting, and that's the aspect of the, of the plot that that I really engage with. I think with the shrunken stuff um I think I'm more impressed with that from a production side of things you know with the with the set designs it- but actually in terms of the, the the story, I'm more interested in that but what but I think that if the story were to be made now. I actually think all that stuff that, that Rachel Carson had, had written, I think that's still the case. You know, And when she's writing about university research grants and that discouraging. Um, actually, you know, uh, with big manufacturers providing university research grants, which would, you know, obviously muddies the waters with regards to research and everything. That's still very pertinent now, right across the board. And I think that if you would get the story now, you, you would probably get something that would really sink, you know, that's the area that they would really sink your teeth into.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I think maybe the whole shrinking down of stuff just maybe softens it a little bit.
2: Yeah, I guess so. The sets were pretty good. Especially mm. the sink. <laughs>
1: Yeah. So uh, going into episodes uh, two and three, that's when the regulars are now in the laboratory and um, they've, they've got in there in different ways. So Ian and uh, Barbara had to uh, quickly hide inside a, a briefcase, a leather briefcase, and they're carried into the laboratory. Uh, Susan and the doctor have to climb up a pipe, which leads up into a sink. And we get that cliffhanger of uh, a sink full of water with the, with the plug being taken out. And that's the cliffhanger because obviously, um,
2: absolutely bonkers. It's going to drown. Yeah. Yeah. The cliffhanger is basically somebody washing their hands and pulling out the plug. Yeah.
1: (laughs) And that's a cliffhanger. Someone washing their hands and emptying the sink. Um, but obviously in the context of the story it works or, you know, when you put it like that is kind of funny. Um, but that 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 set is absolutely fantastically realised. Um, in fact, I think that the, the whole thing is. I mean, Raymond Cusick, um, I think, was the designer for the story, and he does a really really good job. It uh, you know, given the limitations of the budget, but it doesn't it doesn't show.
2: No, not at all. Like the basin looks really big, and the dimensions of the sinkhole. <laughs> It's well made. <laughs> yes.
1: it. Do- yeah. Yeah. It's really, really good. And um, um even the use of sound, I think that, that, you know, how they manipulate the sound. So it sounds like it's echoing within, within the sink. They do. It, you
2: know. And they do talk about like waveforms and how they're mm-hmm. perceived when you're small and large. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I do think Ian mentions, he makes an example at some point as well. Um, but this is also heard when they're on the telephone. Um, there's a very deep voice coming through the telephone, um, mm-hmm. and, and would they sound like Smurfs? Maybe.
1: But at <coughs> that, but at that height, would would they be audible anyway?
2: Um, yeah, I guess so. Hmm.
1: But yeah, it's uh, it's an episode three that we we suddenly get um, Hilda Rose and Bert Rose suddenly introduced into the story. Um, Hilda Rose um, uh, works in the the local post office but also isn't because it's clearly a um, very small community where this story is taking place. So she's also in charge of the telephone exchange. Um and she realizes through a couple of uh, dodgy phone calls uh that have been made from f- from the house that something's not quite right. And it just so happens that her husband Bert is is the is the <laughs> local the local cop so he pops around at the end of the story and um basically <laughs> um arrests the two villains of the piece um i think this is probably one aspect of the story which of it being reduced to three episodes of you know is it's some it it, it affects the, the structure of the story because suddenly we're introduced to these uh these characters and then they swoop in and, and save the day but Anyway, th- this goes into the point because you said you had a couple of th- a couple of comments on this, Rob. So, as I said before, that this was um, originally and it was recorded uh, as a four part story. It was. It so... was actually reduced to three in the edit.
2: Yeah, so I don't know if you would class it as the the only story that is lost, um, or would you would you even regard it as a four part because it was never ever broadcast that way, um, because of course things things do get always edited down um mm. do we class this as an incomplete story i don't know but the three part version it does present um i guess what you'd call some plot holes um okay mm-hmm. I, i'm just trying to think this is kind of jumping ahead to the end um there's a whole plot with um this this compound that is killing the insects um it uh it affects a cat which dies by the sink, and um this was obviously part of the original part four, which got edited down and it was it wasn't included in the broadcast um and when they are in the laboratory at the end um Smithers is smelling this compound um and that was from the cat um but obviously that doesn't come across in the broadcast version
1: no 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 not at all
2: no. um i'm sure there was a few other things um maybe they'll come to me soon um did you want to talk about that now yeah yeah i think no yeah. i think it's a perfect time to do so yeah okay well the um so the the dvd came out maybe 10 or so years ago and it included the um reconstructed episode 3 and 4 hmm. and it's kind of a, a loose reconstruction because it uses um a lot of close up footage of the characters lip synced with some new audio which was recorded hmm. by um Caroline Ford William Russell um and some stand-ins for the doctor and the other characters and this is also interlinked with some um, pretty basic CGI animation as well. It all comes off, of course, as a quick rough cut because it's it's a representation of the complete story. It's not like um, a replacement for the for episode three. Mm. Um, but yeah, it does contain a lot more in there, especially with the characters in the in the post office, the the the, the couple yeah he'll he'll get it does yeah um what did you make of the the four-part version do you think it was better or do you think it benefited from having a lot of this stuff cut out
1: well one of the things that i think it's uh we're very like one of the things is i think it's absolutely impressive that that was that was made and we as Doctor Who fans are incredibly uh, fortunate when it comes to stuff like this because uh, which other television programme has this much love and dedication put upon it when it comes to the the physical release and these special features? If this had been another programme, I don't think anyone would have, maybe would have thought about it, but I don't think we would have had any special features of let's reconstruct the episodes as best we can and get some of the original actors who are still around to provide the voices and so on. So I think it's fantastic that we've got this as a special feature. I think it's more of a curio, though. I think it's interesting. It gives you a sort of idea of how the story could have been as a four-parter. Um, having said that, though, uh, and I think actually the reconstruction is is reasonably well done. So uh, the people uh, responsible for making it should be incredibly proud of themselves. But... Um, i don't think it really adds anything to the the story so even though you're right rob there's there was this whole element to do with the with the cat um and the cat uh dies because of uh this insecticide and uh we do uh we do have the corpse of the cat in in, in the broadcast episode three but it, it it's you don't really notice it to be honest it's it's not until it's sort of like pointed out and you go oh yeah and then as I said, and then the introduction of, of Bert and Hilda isn't, uh, you know, they just seem to like rushed in, but on the whole, I think, um, I think it works that they managed that. It, I think it works much better as a three-parter to be perfectly honest, because I think having it as four episodes, it, uh, my impression was this is dragging a bit. Uh, whereas with the broadcast episode three, suddenly the, the pace has shot up. Mm. Um, uh, and I actually think it, 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 although it wasn't intended, I think actually the, the way that it was edited, uh, I think it. Uh, yes, actually, really yeah. well, and I think it benefits the story. Yeah. How about
2: you? Yeah, what, the, what are your I do. I do like the, the the three part thing. Um, I guess it did feel like it was a bit overstretched. Um, with some hmm. of the extra dialogue in there, um, like one bit with the cat would have been nice to include. There is another plot, a subplot in this story, Barbara is um, poisoned by this insecticide compound mm. early on mm-hmm. when she touches some seeds and we see a, a fly land on them and die. And mm-hmm. she keeps this to herself that she's been poisoned. Um, I don't know why she she didn't just tell everyone in the first place. But when it gets to um, episode four in the four-part version, um or rather, episode three in the broadcast, um, they, the four characters are all together and they know that Barbara's affected. Now, in the extended version, in episode four, I'm pretty sure there's more dialogue where Barbara tells them to, um, to kind of stop these guys instead. Mm-hmm. Did you get that? Is that explained more?
1: Oh, yes. Yeah, 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 you're right. That that is, that is explained a little... Yeah, that is explained more clearly. So I suppose that is something that would have benefited the story from that. It makes that plot point a lot more clear. It does, because in the broadcast Whereas version,
2: in- it's almost like they don't care about Barbara anymore and they're getting on with something else. mm.
1: Yeah, you're right, and it's sort of like left a little bit vague. I mean, the way that because to be honest, I think this part of the story is is a highlight for me. That that, that thing that you know, Barbara is clearly very worried because she knows that her life's in danger, but she keeps it to herself. I always inter- I always interpreted that as um she doesn't want to add to everybody else's worries because they're already in a difficult predicament. True. They don't know whether yeah. they're able to uh, get to the normal size, and there's constant danger around. So th- that's the way that I sort of interpreted that. Um, and then, sort of like the last half of the episode, they realise that you know she, she, you know, something's not quite right. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I get your I get your point right. Uh, I get your point, Rob. Um, in the in the original story, as conceived as the four part, it plays out better. Um, but at the same time, it's sort of like as as it is with the three part episode, I, I don't think it's too much of a detriment to the story.
2: No. Yeah, it, it does work. Mm-hmm. So the doctor kind of figures out that um Barbara could be healed if they return her to mm-hmm. a normal size, the mm-hmm. the insecticide compound, um NB6 or whatever it's called, inside her, those molecules will will stay uh, will shrink or rather stay relative to how they were in when she grows the compound that's in our body um, will be small and, di- and mm-hmm. uh, only a trace amount of it will exist. I thought, well, that's, that's, um, that's an assumption, I think, on his part. Uh, maybe he understands the science more than we do. Um, but then I think it's quite good that the doctor brings a seed on board the TARDIS. And it's it's a visual representation of that. As well, I thought that was quite nice.
1: Yes, I think that was that was a nice, nice, little, neat little way of uh, showcasing, uh, marrying up with the explanation, but also visually telling the audience that they're they're back to the normal size now, and the special effect of I mean, it's simply done, but I, I, it's effective. It's a, it's a nice little special effect.
2: Yeah, when I first watched it, I thought he was picking up like an ant egg. I thought, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah, because it, it, funny enough, it it does look it does look quite similar, doesn't it? Yeah. Hmm.
2: And when they first found those poison seeds, I couldn't decide if they were sugar puffs or peanuts, <laughs> <laughs> but they were neither.
1: Yeah, yeah. I was yeah. They they do look like sugar puffs actually.
2: So where does this leave us?
1: Um at the end. So I think, um, is there is there anything from, from, from your end, Rob, that uh, you would like to talk about the story that maybe we haven't?
2: Um, no, I think that covers it. Mm-hmm.
1: Good, good. So, uh, any highlights? Um, like if you go, oh, that's my favourite bit of the story.
2: Oh, favourite bit. Hmm. Um, oh, well, I guess the cliffhanger to... Um, would that be episode 1 or 2 when the the base the basins unplugged
1: oh episode 2 yeah. yeah
2: that was fun and then the doctor and susan managed to hide in the overflow pipe which is very clever um that mm-hmm. was cool <laughs>
1: Yeah, I think uh, yeah, I think that's a cool bit. Uh, yeah, it's again, it's it's really well done, and even with the front projection with 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 the water flowing in front of them, I think is is, is done very effectively. Yeah, and then the special effects hold up really rather they well.
2: Do. Oh, and I liked Ian uh, trying to strike the match. <laughs> yes. And when they the were trying to unhook the phone, that was a bit of fun, and they had the the corks from the test mm-hmm. tubes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All good fun. Yeah. Yeah, all good fun. Uh, yeah, I,
1: would, I think that they're very good moments. As I said, I think uh, my highlight is that the whole thing to do with Barbara and how she's trying to contain herself and that that th- that threat that she may die, and thankfully she doesn't. Um, so Rob, um, well, first of all, we so uh, listeners have uh, voted. I don't think we've got any comments on the story. All oh, right, um, but uh, we have got the results in. Uh, so the 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 options to, to vote are good, average, and bad. Have you seen the results, Rob?
2: No, I'm just going there now. Uh, we do have we do have responses.
1: He, oh, we do. Oh, well, we'll we'll get onto those in a moment. So, in terms of the the vote, zero <laughs> percent um, thought it was bad, so that's good. Forty four percent of hold the on, hold
2: on, hold on, hold on. Oh, no, sorry. Yes, what? you're reading it bad to good. Go on. Sorry. I thought, what are you reading? <laughs> Go ahead.
1: I know what I'm doing, Rob. Or well, at least I think I do. Anyway, uh, so yes, 0% thought it was bad. 44% thought it was good. Uh, but the highest at 56%, I'm rounding up slightly, but at 56% thought it was average. So most people think it was average. Um, How about you, Rob? How would you rate it?
2: I'd rate it as a fairly average. But a good average. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Yeah,
1: I agree with that. Yeah, I I think the same. It's, uh, I would say it was average as well. But there's something quite cozy about the story, which I quite like.
2: Um, Yeah, it's got its charm, and um, everyone loves a good murder.
1: (laughs) Yes. Um, So there's, you know, I think it's one of those where i think planet of giants could have been better um you know there's really interesting ideas and the whole inspiration behind it which i went on before i think is is really interesting but as it is i think it's a perfectly you know it's perfectly reasonable it's a reasonably good story um told told really well um i think the the actors are good i think it's well cast um and as I said, I think the production values of both the set designs and the special effects. Yeah, it's yeah, it's 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 average but good average. It's not you know it's it's not uh, it's average. Don't bother with it. It's yawnsville. Yeah, yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. So uh, Rob Rob was right. Before we have had uh, respo- uh, written responses. So James has kind of gotten contact and said probably my favorite Hartnell story. Maybe it's because it's short. <laughs> But I just like it when the Hartnell era gets fun in format. Uh, thanks for that, James. Yeah, it's um, it's actually nice to hear someone you know cite that as a as a favourite story of the era because I think Planet of the Giants is prob you know probably a, a, an underrated story, not one that gets a lot of attention. So that's nice. And yeah, uh, it, it you know it it is fun. Um, yeah, that, that was got... James
2: Swift. Thanks for that. But uh, yeah, yeah, I think it's James. surprising that it um, it's a favourite. But yeah, fair enough. <laughs>
1: Yeah, and then uh, Rob's hilarious wife. Uh, do you know who that is, Rob?
2: I think I've seen her. Yeah,
1: yeah. All right, okay. Anyway, she said I could tell how much you liked the story by how many times I kept having to wake you up when
2: you were watching it. Well, let me <laughs> explain that. Um, Go on, explain. Well, I'd been up I got up. It's. Um, I got up. It's almost three o'clock that morning. Um. After after a few hours' sleep, and and um, I had a long shift at work. And then it was very late when I thought I'll stick on Planet of Giants. Um confident mm-hmm. that I'd make it to the end and then watch the the reworked episodes as well. Um mm-hmm. but I just kept falling asleep.
1: Yeah, fair enough, I think you've redeemed yourself. That's uh that's that's almost plausible. Yeah. Fair, fair enough. <laughs>
2: uh but yeah, thanks, Rob's hilarious wife. Yeah
1: yeah thanks rob's hilarious wife for dropping rob in it (laughs) falling asleep watching a doctor who
2: how could you um Uh, but she knows that i fall asleep watching everything ah. (laughs) and i don't i don't think it's like old age because i've been doing it since like my early 20s
1: ah fair enough yeah it's not old age rob we're not old (laughs) we're just mature um Yes, uh, thank you, everyone who voted, and uh, for those, uh, including Rob Soleria's wife and James, for providing those comments. Um, for, for anyone listening who would like uh, to get in contact with us for future stories, you can do that on our website at Cloister Bell Podcast, all is one word.com. Um, there's, there's games on there as well, so do check that out. So that's it for this week. Rob, would you like to tell the listeners what our next story will be?
2: Oh, um,. So we're going back to Pompeii, so we're going to mm-hmm. check out a big Finnish story called, not The Fires of P- Pompeii, it's The Fires of Vulcan, starring Sylvester McCoy and Bonnie Langford.
1: Yeah, and as Bonnie Langford's coming back in the uh, uh, in the new series. It all ties in, uh, yes. It all ties in, it's, uh, it's all planned, we know what we're doing. Um, so that's it for this week thank you very much and uh, as Rob said uh, tune in next week where we will be reviewing The Big Finish Audio Adventure Fires of Vulcan
2: and it might might be a spooky Halloween special it might not be
1: tune in and find out (laughs) bye bye everyone thanks